Welcome to the 161st installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's audio podcast on family farming, sustainable agriculture, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. The future of much of our farmland lies in the hands of women. One estimate is that more than half of all farmland in Iowa is owned by women, most over the age of 65. Exact figures in other states are hard to come by, but it's assumed that the same demographics hold true in other parts of the Midwest. That's why during the past few years, the Land Stewardship Project has been holding Women Caring for the Land meetings in southeastern and western Minnesota. These meetings bring together women who own land and rent it out for agricultural production and who are interested in learning more about conservation on that land, whether it be grass waterways, field windbreaks, strip tillage, grazing, or cover crops. Many of the participants are widowed, self-identified farm wives or have inherited the land from parents who farmed. Some were active in farming at some point in their lives, and some pursued careers that took them far from the land. All are eager to understand more about what takes place on their land and how to work with their renter or renters to increase stewardship while maintaining good production and good relationships. These Women Caring for the Land groups are based on a model developed by the Iowa-based Women, Food, and Agriculture Network. Like the Iowa group, Women Caring for the Land meetings in Minnesota employ an informal learning circle method of education, support, and empowerment for women engaged in agricultural land management, an area that's often seen as a man's world. Helping these women figure out how to navigate government conservation programs and deal with renters is key if we're to ensure a sustainable future for our land and rural communities. Coupled with a troubling rise in soil erosion, habitat loss, and water quality issues, which can be exacerbated by poor farming practices on rented land, it's becoming clear that non-operating landowners, and particularly women, can play a significant role in curbing the degradation of our region's most important resource. They could also be a key link in passing land on to the next generation of farmers. This is something LSP is particularly interested in as we look for ways to get graduates of our Farm Beginnings Training Program established on the land. I recently attended a Women Caring for the Land gathering on a pasture-based farm in southeastern Minnesota. During that meeting, women of various ages and backgrounds had an opportunity to see firsthand how one stewardship farming method, managed rotational grazing, can be established on property utilizing the latest fencing technology and working with neighboring livestock producers who are willing to pay for access to extra grass. After the workshop, I chatted with Caroline Van Shake, an LSP organizer, about why it is so important to reach out to women landowners, both for the sake of the land, as well as the future of the people who will be farming it. Caroline just uh, sat in on a really excellent Women Caring for the Land meeting where we brought together kind of a diverse group of women who all have farmland and they're trying to figure out what the future holds for that land. I was wondering if you could just give a little background on why LSP, why this is, uh, why we're involved with this initiative. So you can look at it from a couple of different perspectives. Just from sheer statistics, you have uh, women owning lots and lots of land in this country. I mean, statistically, I don't think we really know, but it's somewhere upwards of 60%, and it changes a little bit depending on the region of the country. So just from sheer mathematics, if it matters to you how land is managed, and you're trying to be strategic about Uh, working with people who are managing land, then going to this segment of our land-owning population is pretty obvious. Many of these women are already older. Uh, They grew up in a culture, in an agriculture, and also a societal culture where the voice of women 
was certainly not at the FSA office or the Soil Conservation Service office or at the coffee shop talking about agriculture and farmland. It was somewhere else, but it wasn't there. So they're not accustomed to talking about their land, even articulating what's important to them about their land, but they have opinions. So that actually brings me back to Land Stewardship Project and why we're particularly interested in this group of people. They manage a lot of land. A good deal of it is in conservation programs, some of which is retiring or expiring. At the other end of the spectrum of farming and age are the beginning farmers or people who would like to be beginning farmers who are looking for land. And those beginning farmers aren't all young, but the odds are that they're younger than 70s and 80s. So there's this logical, at least on paper, potential relationship between people who are looking for land and people who have land. And then if you factor in the particular passion of Land Stewardship Project for how land is managed, and you look at, for example, conservation contract land coming out of those programs, it's prime for remaining in some sort of perennial cover. But many of these, uh, particularly women landowners, don't know how to do that. It's complicated by their history of leases being managed by their husbands or their uncles or their brothers. And now, as many of them are widowed, they are faced with either maintaining the status quo or doing something different, and the doing something different is a new world for them. And they're very responsive. And not just the the single landowners. Women are really responsive to being in a, a women's circle, listening and talking and sharing and learning in that kind of an environment. It's just different than when there are men and women, and it's certainly different than in a typically male-dominated NRCS office or that sort of place. So it's gratifying and, and pretty exciting to create opportunities like we did today for women to come and be with women and ask the dumb questions in what feels like a safe environment and learn some um, very tangible things, but start by articulating, learning to articulate what's important to them about their land. I think all good decisions come from knowing what's important to you about whatever it is, in this case, how your land is managed. One thing I was struck by was it was a real variety in ages and kind of situations. It looked like maybe some people who were mid-career looking to start their own farms to elderly people who have control of some family. It looked like a real diverse kind of cross-section demographic situation here. Yeah, and it, it's interesting. All of our Women Caring for the Land programs have looked like that. And in today's focus, especially, was on fencing, of all things, and yet we still had this range of ages and this range of engagement in land. Uh, so there were a couple of women who have 40-acre parcels, in one case, brand new. They don't, they don't even have a building on it. And in another case, um, she and her family have been uh, managing it and living on it for a number of years, and she has quite the menagerie of livestock and wants to get more serious about how she uses her 40 acres, more intentional. And she's one of the, she's starting Farm Beginnings, in fact. And then another woman who is also starting Farm Beginnings, middle age, I think that's probably fair to say. She is uh, passionate about grazing, and she has uh, several livestock species in mind, recognizes she needs fencing in order to manage her land better. 
And then there were a couple of older women who are involved with family farms and siblings and transition issues and and yet committed to uh, both continuity of that land in the family but also struggling with things like Roundup and tenants who, as one woman said, you know, he talked me into Roundup a few years ago and I just, I can't do that anymore and I need to know what else to do. So they come here from so many uh, places on the spectrum of farmland engagement and management. It's fascinating and it reinforces to me the need for having educational forums for, for women who are trying to care for the land in a million different places. The other thing that is sometimes missing in their formula is the the strength that comes from feeling like they're not the only ones with those convictions. And and so they come to a gathering like this and they find themselves with some kindred spirits and some people they can contact afterwards. And they, you know, this is LSP, so they certainly go home with plenty of language to practice if they want to. But it's it's resources and for some of them, even the idea of going into an NRCS office is kind of frightening. There are probably men like that, too. It's not like it's a it's the sole domain of women. And there are plenty of women who will march into an NRCS office and not bat an eye about who they bump into. But not every woman is like that. They go away, at least that's what I hope, um, with some conviction, a sense of some numbers, not just themselves doing this by themselves, and some answers and you know, frankly, they end up getting tapped into our LSP community of learners, if you will. And so today's workshop, I promise you, will lead to their appearance at another field event. I can guarantee it. That's what I've seen for the last two years, is that if somebody comes to one of our Women Caring for the Land events, we will see them again. And not just at women's events, but at a at a regular field event or a workshop in the wintertime. I think what's also was great about a meeting like this is seeing, like you said, some of the older women in a mix with younger women who the younger women are, say, taking farm beginnings or they have taken farm beginnings or just they're interested in launching their own operations. For the, I think that's a good thing for the older women to see uh, in that they can see that there is an interest on the part of a younger generation so that they can't, because there is that issue of the older generation says, well, there's no uh, opportunities for younger farmers these days. That that time is over. But that, it seems like maybe that that, as far as two-way learning, that that's a really good lesson for them to see that there is an interest. It is. And you know what else um, we hear? I, probably at every single women for the for women Caring for the Land gathering that I've been involved in is that somebody will be in the crowd who was raised on farms and pretty much ran in the opposite direction because they saw their parents working so hard. Look, our host today, our host family today, both were raised on farms. Both literally did that, went somewhere else with the intention of not farming because they saw their parents working too hard. But there's a pull. And so you have... Uh, in this case, women, but you have people coming back into farming. Our beginning farmers program is Farm Beginnings is like that too. There are invariably people who come back into farming in their own way. They're not farming like their dads or moms did or their grandpas did. They're farming today. I mean, we heard some pretty innovative ideas today about what some of these women have in mind and they're doing their research for. So yeah, it's inspiring. It's And it's really inspiring that they're not 20 years old. You know, we had our 79-year-old woman looking at probably a 30-something-year-old and probably a 40-something-year-old. 
getting started. That's great. Next, I talked to Gretchen Goodman, a 79-year-old participant in the meeting who owns 80 acres of southeastern Minnesota farmland that's been in the family for over 100 years. She described how important the farm is to her and some of the dilemmas she faces as she considers its future. I'm trustee of my what was my husband's family farm. He's been gone for 10 years now, so I've been in charge for that time. For, gosh, for the first four or five years, his uh, bachelor brother was living on the property, and so I wasn't quite as involved then as I have been now. Uh, I have two children. They both live out of state, and uh, they're both very fond of the farm. They've come back for a week or two at a time to uh, clean and work there. I would not sell the farm. They would not sell the farm. So we're looking for ways to to be to use it, uh, to keep it intact, to um, be sustainable with it as best we can. The land's been rented to a farmer neighbor since long before I was involved with it. And he's a good farmer, but he's a traditional farmer, and so we have some issues about how to do things. And, of course, I'm just a neophyte at all of this, so I don't uh, really feel like an expert at it. The farm's been in, had been in my husband's family for 100 years. It's an 80-acre farm. They did everything, I think, uh, early on, and then they uh, branched out, and they had a couple other small farms as well. So they did dairying, and they had hogs and whatever. But for the last, oh, goodness, I don't know, 25 years, more than that, Oh, close to 50 years, I bet. The farm, the family had not farmed the farm themselves, and so the land has been rented. And uh, it's hayland, essentially, hay, hay and corn and some alfalfa. There is a house. Um, we The house was built in 1952, and uh, so it's not your concept of an old farmhouse, but it is an old farmhouse, with being 60 years old now. And so it's uh, vacant and available for rent, but of course without the land since the neighbor rents the land. But eventually there will have to be some disposition of the whole thing. My kids talk about coming back to Minnesota, but being one in Utah and one in Oregon, it's not the most likely. We are anxious to hold on to the farm and to to keep the land. Well, how, what does land do? It, does it uh, sustain itself, it grows, it maintains uh, quality, and uh, we would like to do that. The, the, there isn't that much um, cropland in the farm. It's cut by two highways, and it has a creek running through it and some woodland, so it's a very pretty place, but it's not a very practical place as far as farming business farming, unless you were to develop um, a niche of some kind, organic farming or uh, something, some specialized kind of farming, and my kids have even talked about that. You said that you're kind of a neophyte. Are you, um, I mean, what are some of the things you feel like you need to kind of get up to speed about to maybe manage the farm in the way you want it to be managed? Well, I, I guess I'm, I'm in a holding pattern now, and my kids are, are, I think, at the point where they realize they need to start taking 
taking over more hands-on control of the farm. It's easier for me to be the point person as close as I am to the farm, and they are so far away, but uh, that isn't going to last forever. What would we like to do? I guess we're keeping the renters that we have. Probably we've had, uh, I have one contract renter and one word-of-mouth renter, and we probably need to be more business-like about the whole operation. Just talked about here today at the meeting that you think maybe is going to be useful for you? Well, in the uh, the list that Caroline had of uh, feature, farm features or whatever, as I went through that, I, it became obvious to me that I'm in a very different situation from most of the people here today because they were are actually farming their property, and they're talking about animals and crops and harvesting and selling and the cost of it all. And I'm pretty far removed from that, and I think the aspects of farming that I checked were, or of our farm were uh, more along the line of a, a visitor, a, a tourist, or a preservationist, somebody who just wants to keep the land. And um, I haven't been involved with renewing the land, as most people would be if they're looking at long-term farming. But it sounds like also that you may be in a kind of, I think a lot of people are in this situation where you've rented to these folks for a long time. You have that relationship with them. You want to respect that. And yet maybe they're using some practices that you're like, well, I wish I, I wish they wouldn't do that. But I know that that can be a sticky situation for a lot of people. Well, the, the more I read and, and hear about chemicals that are applied to the soil today, the more frightening it is to me. Um, we had to have a new septic system, the new well on the farm since I came into charge of it and uh, know how costly that is. I am appalled at the what I read about uh, Roundup and some of the, the chemicals that people use and and the long-term concern of that uh, entering the water supply, especially in southeastern Minnesota with the the karst formation of the uh, earth, that is is very frightening to me. And I I wonder if I am just uh, being too concerned about it because so many people live there and have lived there for eons and don't seem bothered by it at all. And I worry about the genetic effects and all kinds of issues for humans and uh, and the insects, the bees, if, if the bees are indeed being affected by the chemicals. Um, we, we need to find a better way or we need to know more about what the long-range effects are of the, the things that we sound so good today, like a quick fix. And I th don't think there are quick fixes, and I think the earth is is going to win <laughs> no matter what we try to do. <laughs> well, that's what I was wondering is, is one of the things I know Caroline's looking at is getting resources to folks who own farmland for things like, I guess, fact sheets on how you would set up a, a conservation lease, a lease that says, yeah, you can do certain things, but certain this is certain things we'd like. Is that something that would be useful for somebody like you? We've talked about 
what will happen to the farm after we're gone. Uh, certainly, I won't sell it. I Two children won't sell it um, unless there's some extreme calamity that would force them to. My grandchildren, this is a different matter. They've grown up out of state. They have some connection to the farm, but at, at the age of, you know, 18 and 20, no. So um, the conservation of the of the land and putting it into a conservation easement is attractive to me, and I have not explored that as thoroughly as I need to. I've realized that uh, financially that's probably not a good thing to do because it uh, limits the value, the resale value of the property, which, of course, in our estimate is not what it's all about anyway. I can see the land, the location, being developed commercially if Rochester does what it intends to do, become a destination medical center and whatever. There will be growth all around this area, and I can see a commercial development at that intersection of the two highways very easily. I'm not interested in that. My children aren't. Somebody will be eventually financially interested in that, but I'm very, very tempted to explore the conservation easement route and to keep it in its natural state as long as I can. Would you ever consider if the right beginning farmers came along who you knew were going to farm it in the way that you were happy with? I mean, is that something you would ever consider is is somehow making it so that they could get access to that land either through a rental arrangement or maybe eventually selling it, that type of thing? Well, I, I do read the land stewardship letter and I do see the land for rent and land wanted, and uh, I find that interesting. I noticed a college classmate had some land of hers for <laughs> available at one point, and I haven't talked to her about that. But um, I think that would be a good use of our land, surely for rental. Um, selling it down the road, I, I can see that a beginning farmer is wanting to get started, and, and financially that's almost impossible, uh, so I can see renting it that way. But eventually, surely, they would want to own their own property. I don't blame them for that. And if it ever had to be sold, that certainly would be more attractive to me than selling for commercial development, or uh, it will never be a huge farm because... It can't be. For more information on LSP's work with women landowners and farmland transition issues, see www.landstewardshipproject.org. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org or you can call 612-722-6377. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.